welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. This is episode 245, and I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. Welcome back to the show. This is, we've like, this is three episodes in one week. Well, one was released that we did last right, week, but right. then there was a tech glitch, and then there was, we recorded Wednesday. Yeah, and today. And so, today, Black Friday. So are so you shopping today? Are Feast you gonna, of Dime will not go out shopping today. Um, I was going to go buy shirt stays because I bought, every time I buy shirt stays, like, I really only need the smallest size like any collar basically you know that but i you get these variety packs so inevitably all i have are the two sizes that are too long for every collar i have and i have like five of the kind i need so i was gonna go to joseph a banks and buy shirts these but then lindy's like why don't you just let me order this on amazon it'll be here tomorrow i was like well yeah okay that would be that would do it all right there we go there's (laughs) summary did you have a good day yesterday i did i did uh family here and a friend and it was nice and i did some shopping yesterday too that you, you went shopping on thanksgiving day online uh this thing that actually i think looks promising so for people that are listening to this have a podcast it was like 34 bucks special it's like it's called hello cast and what it is it's like remember when we had like a spreadsheet about the podcast that we right we just stop it's just hard to update well this is like it's like a spreadsheet database everything rolled into one and so it just imports all the data about the podcast right into the thing. So you, like I can make you a collaborator. If you wanted to look back on every show we've done, it would have it organized. And then you can update show notes. Like, so that you, so basically it's a database. It manages guests. It, it'll show you all the release dates and a calendar from when we've done the podcast. So it's, wow. so basically the guys market, like, couldn't, couldn't you just do this in Google? And yeah, they're like, you could do it in Evernote, but this, does, so basically they're like, this was designed by podcasters for podcasts. Wow. And it's like a Evernote kind of database thing that without it's just remarkable. So I want to, I'm very pleased with it. I want to give a shout out to very the nice. HelloCast people because I, I have no problem promoting something if I think it's good. No, that's good. So I think it's for the money. It's a, it looks like an incredible tool. Good, good. Well, we had a good day yesterday. I had the whole family there, which was fun. You cooked? Cooked, yeah. Um, yeah, I cooked the main things and the family brought the sides. So we had way too much food. But we had a great time, and uh, yeah, so it was it was a lot of a lot of fun. A lot of kids running around. It was great, great day. Lindy cooked the most moist turkey I've ever eaten. Yeah, we compared notes. Mine was mine was she we you brined it, brined it, and she cooked it in a bag. Yeah, yeah. And I've never tasted in my memory turkey that was that moist. That was not. It was not even the whitest white meat was not no, at all dry. It was good. And my oldest son Ben. Uh, actually worked for George Perrier for a while. And so I've never seen a person carve a turkey like it. It's just beautiful. <laughs> so he was able to match skin with meat. And uh, yeah, I did a two-day two, a two day brine with mine. Oh, wow. Yeah, Nigella. Nigella's brine. I, I feel like lamb and turkey are two things that, if done well, are amazing. But if not done well, the dryness, it just yeah, ruins can't, it. Can't like, be dry. No. It's like, remember in Christmas vacation when the turkey's so dry, they're just pouring gravy on No, you can't. No, it's tough. You <laughs> when know. she carves it and it just... 
Yeah, you know, and if you're not, a lot of people don't use their oven that often. No, it's it's a challenge. But the brine, the brine never fails, and uh, yeah, it's a good good way to do. Like it. the Lord, the brine <laughs> never fails. There we go. Speaking of the Lord, we should move into our podcast. <laughs> Why does it have to be all about the Lord? You know, it's not just about, but this is Christ the King Sunday. It is. It is Christ the King Sunday. Um, yeah. And so the lectionary text is very interesting. It's John 18 with the dialogue between Jesus and Pilate. Well, yeah. it's very, oh. What is truth? What is truth? Yeah. Well, on a related note. Uh, if you don't know, the Gospel Coalition is happy to tell you what truth is, regardless of if it's true or not. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I, there are some great things on the Gospel Coalition website. For, right. instance, For instance, great sermon databases, like some decent preachers whose sermons they put up. There's a lot of preachers in the database that, you know, I th- I find less compelling, but there's that one guy from Ohio. Um, you should, are you going to mention somebody less compelling? Alistair, Alistair Big, the Lamb of God. Like, he has this great Scottish accent. Like, yeah. that guy's church is totally built on that accent. Uh, well, you know, we used to say that, that was, you know, that was a, a, a brogue was worth about 30% more in your oh, package. Abso- yeah. At least, yeah. at least. We, one time when I was in Midland, Texas, it was... Uh, Reformation Sunday, and so there was one. There was one Scottish press pastor in in the entire Presbytery, and he started a sermon. as, well, the only reason I'm here is because I'm Scottish. And uh, the and the, and the senior pastor whispered to me, "Yep." <laughs> There's a guy um, at tenth now, the new pastor, who's it, 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 Welsh. Welsh is a good accent, and yeah. he's so animated. And I feel like James Boyce and Phil Reichen both were pretty non and like they were not the most affective preachers right. like they i mean deep guys but not but this guy is like so effective it's like it's a whole new tent right out of those welch coal mines that's awesome <laughs> it's awesome it's just so great like it's um so so the gospel coalition and sometimes they have commentary on things but oftentimes i find myself less in agreement with the material and this is that one was of, a, that was a generous yes statement but it's the day after thanksgiving thanks be to god i'm grateful for Maybe the internet thanks be to god yeah thanks be to god i'll tell you what i'm thankful for hello cast which is there we go. i'm yeah. into it uh so there's the piece on their website which we'll link to in the show notes but three beliefs some progressive christians and atheists share now i kind of saw this and skimmed it when it came out yeah, some, around November 13th. Yeah, and somebody on, uh, I forget who, someone posted uh, some comments on Resident Exile. I think the discussion group about it, yeah. Okay, there's a lot in that discussion group. It's a very fruitful... It's a lot goes on in it, so, yeah. yeah. It is interesting. It is, it's it, good. Yeah, there's some really... Um, people share interesting things. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, it's a lot of stuff there. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it's one of the only play. I, it's it's it does test my belief in freedom of speech. There you go. And one person got got in the one person got five for fighting. We never let him out of the penalty box. But <laughs> the guys on Why Theory were talking about neoliberalism and political liberalism, right. and economic, like how, and the one guy. They, so basically, they're both economic progressive leftists, right. Right. but they disagreed a little bit on how much politically liberal they were like what todd was more than his colleague and former student ryan ryan was like look i'm not there's limits i want to ban on non-productive speech he's like well i mean i'm not calling you a stalinist but how do you (laughs) (laughs) a ban on non-productive speech yeah he was like i mean i'm just saying i'm saying i guess he's volunteering to be the one to judge that exactly yeah yeah so he's like you know i mean the antifa they'd be allowed to protest but the nazis wouldn't he would be our man in boston instead of our man in in moscow Yeah, I mean, it's, it was, it was, uh, but so, yeah. so this is, and then our friends, David Fitch and 
the guy that Mike that replaced Jeff, yeah. not Jeff. <laughs> all right, he's so we're so close to we don't know his name. Right. He's. I, but in fairness, we don't know there are Jeff's replacement on the theology, but we do know Fitch. Yeah. Well, you're friends with Fitch. I'm not. I mean, yeah. I'm not. An you're an acquaintance. Fitch. Yeah, I'm an acquaintance. And an online interlocutor. We do sometimes interlock. <laughs> yeah, you you post a lot of funny things in response to him. Like he's very he, he's amused for you. He's amused for you. Like sometimes I feel like. You're at your sometimes funniest snark. Like he brings something out in you. He does that intellectually is witty. Like yeah, and and the, and my best lines are you're the only one who gets to hear them. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so thank you, Dave. I'm thankful for David for bringing out uh, my uh, what would what would you call it? What did you he, say? He's your he's a muse. He's my muse. He is a muse. He's amusing and amused. <laughs> So this piece is three beliefs some progressive Christians and atheists share. And this is by Elisa Childers, who... And what are her qualifications? <laughs> this again. is not being patronizing. I'm just saying. No, I just wondered, where did she go to school? <laughs> She's, just some... I don't know. She's an American... I'll pull up her words. She's an American singer and songwriter who writes at elisachilders.com, an apologetics blog for doubting Christians and honest skeptics can i uh, you know i um cut my teeth on early christian rock and roll I was in a christian rock band oh i pulled her website up it's playing music it's oh doing... good that's lovely but one of the things i always said except for very few exceptions i just wanted them to play their music and not talk I, that would be one of them if i was i guess in my if i was the stalinist i would say christian musicians are not allowed to to sermonize Wait, she is a Artist in residence at Whitewater Crossing Christian Church in Cleves, Ohio. And when she's not there, she attends Station Hill Church in Spring something, Tennessee. And then, wait, I want to see her bio. It's good work you can get it to be, what is she? Oh, the, the artist, in, artist in residence. Yeah. And then yeah, she has nice. a podcast too. Oh, that's interesting. All right, very good. Well, we're giving her a lot. And then what of, she believes, what I believe. We're giving her a lot of promotional time here. All right. This is all Trinitarian stuff. <laughs> good. She, she passes. She passes the Trinity. Yeah. So anyway, I, oh, she, she's an apologist. She yeah. Should, she should um, have that down. So anyway, go on. but it, it it just is interesting that like I, I've never heard of her, but like you know, it's interesting too that like honest skeptics. Tim Keller wrote a book called Reason for God, and then he wrote another book, and he was honest enough to admit the reason he wrote another book is because he realized no skeptics would read his book, and right, only Christians write. No. So he tried to write a book, and Nick Kristoff liked it. Like, he was yeah, like, right. But so it's interesting, a guy that's pretty accomplished and smart found that he couldn't, at a first attempt, generate something that a thoughtful skeptic would read. Yeah, I, I would say that 90% of what calls itself Christian apologetics is for Christians. Yeah. And, and, there, and there's a merit to that. I mean, I'm, it's, it's, no, you should be able to give a reason why you believe. Yeah. I th sometimes it's uh, just to reinforce the ghetto, and I yeah. think that's problematic. You know? But this, she's an apologist. There Maybe we go. why don't we call ourselves a? What, we, we, I mean, all right, well, this will be our apologetic podcast right now. Okay, so I'm very sorry <laughs> for so much. Anyway, go okay, ahead. <laughs> she's quoting somebody that's. Uh, I guess this is. These are the words of Bart Campolo, the one and only. All right. Listen, I'm uh, going to read it. All right, okay, and we just wait a minute. I just I want to give all our listeners go do something else for the next 20 seconds while, and you will it'll be time you won't lose. By as Scott reads Bart's quote, listen, I got to break it to you. I'm post Christian. I don't believe it anymore. I don't believe any of it. That's my Bart and Paul. Yeah. Uh, these are the words of former Christian Mr. Bark and Paul. Recall speaking to his famous evangelist father, Tony, after leaving the faith of his youth. And it happened after a bike accident that was tragic. He was in a, I think he was in a coma for a few weeks or something. And 
you know, in his words, his theology progressed from conservative to liberal to entirely secular. And he predicts that in 10 years, 30 to 40% of so-called progressive Christians will also become atheists. I love that number. As if Bart's like Robert Jones and PRI. 30. Right. Like, what? okay. I, and according to a Quinnipiac poll, I'm sure he's done a lot of data research. Yeah, I was, you know, he's a social scientist. Right. So, Elisa Child says, progressive Christianity is tough to define because there isn't a creed or a list of beliefs that progressive Christians officially unite around. Well, I mean, you could say that about lots of Christians. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Southern, whatever. But so, okay. They tend to reject, though, the historic biblical understanding of marriage, sexuality, generally deny or redefine doctrine, such as the atonement, biblical authority. And as a result, you know, that basically she says... Can I just, by the way, can I just say how that kind of flows together? It goes from sex to atonement to biblical authority. Yes. Yeah, those are... Yes, it runs right there. Yeah. And then she quotes people like... And this is interesting because she lumps together people like... Oh, yeah, the list. This was amazing. Go ahead. The the Gungers who do the Liturgist podcast with Science Mike. And I would say they are very either friends and collaborators... But the difference between their beliefs and Mike McCarg's belief are significant. Like, right, right. And then Pete Enns, who, again, is com- in a completely different universe. You and, and I would call Pete Enns a fundamentalist in some real ways, right? Well, I think yeah. I, I think Pete reacts to that stuff. I think you, Pete, and I would believe a lot of the same things. I think he's more reactive to an evangelicalism that wounded and confined him. But I think Pete, I don't think of Pete as a progressive in the sense of she's no, putting all these people together like this no, she's not from he's a conservative yeah he would be the most orthodox person a cons- he would be on the right side of the spectrum if he was hired at princeton seminary he may be he might be the most conservative he if he was hired there be, he probably wouldn't get hired right i mean yeah i mean yeah. uh and again that doesn't mean he's, he's super a conservative no. he's a good biblical scholar who's probably on the broad scale of things right of center his critiques are devastating but not convincing <laughs> <laughs> somebody who we know was defending the Princeton inerrancy thing and said Pete, that that's the 19th century 19th Princeton. century Princeton and said that Pete well Pete's critiques are devastating I'm not convinced well then just say they're not convincing you can't say they're devastating <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm still I'm not convinced it's sad that's a I fact. heard he made Charles Hodge cry exactly yeah. <laughs> they were so rough so and then Jen Hatmaker is one of these people she talks about all these de- deconversion stories Derek Webb who is not a Christian anymore Bart Ehrman who's not a Christian with people that are Orthodox Christians and then people who are like Science Mike, who would probably, who would still self-describe as Christian and yet less in the, in the Orthodox sort of center. I mean, he'd, he'd have his own thing. And he, so, he, so basically she puts all these people in the same, lumps them all together, which is, A, the, the taxonomy there is just weird. But right. then, you know, the, she's sort of taking delight in Bart Campola's prediction, like C and how they, like, <laughs> how basically the slippery slope are. Even Bart Campola says it's true. So... She makes bedfellows with Barcampolo in this fascinating way. And then, you know, she says, well, time will tell if Bart's right. But here's the th- here's three ideas progressive Christians espouse that may lead them into full-blown atheism. Here's the slippery slope. All if right, you want to yeah. know where the slope is. All right, all right. Wait a minute. Everybody, make sure you take notes to see what slope side you're on. <laughs> they may adopt a belief that the Bible is unreliable. Wait a minute. All right, here, this is pretty. They may adoptably right may it's very strong word so and why do how does she divine unreliable <laughs> okay no here let me give you a few quotes that show that you have a problem here's by rob bell who i again is a sort of i would put him in the center of orthodox christianity you know edgy on some things but still isn't a traditional liberal or anything like that like he's again he's that's what happens when you get a 200 hundred dollar haircut exactly right? i would love that i cut my own i cut it this morning um 
before you came over. The Bible is a profoundly human book. Okay. Who wouldn't disagree with that? Like that's that, so that if you could agree with that statement, which I think you and I could say, yeah, we go, here we go, man. <laughs> oh no. We may be atheists by the end of this podcast. All right. So in other words, the angel Mariah didn't give it to us. Well, no, wrong religion. Who was it? Who was, who was the atheist? Is that Mariah, the Mormon angel? Maroney. Maroney, yeah. You know what's great? There's this show, The Expanse. This could be an hour. No, the, you know, show. Number, they call the wind Mariah. That's, <laughs> that's the, it, This Expanse show is amazing. It's all about like Mars and Earth and the people that are sort of caught in between who are in space and everything. Right. And they build the, the biggest spaceship ever built is built by the Mormons. It's the super ship to go would be missionaries. And there's a big angel Maroni on the front of this massive spaceship. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, Elaine, uh, by the you, way, from Facebook, we have Elaine uh, Vergiver, uh, my wife's grandmother. She dropped in but cannot stay. She's at the gym with no earbuds. Well, thank you for dropping in, Grandma. We appreciate it. Yeah. Always have your earbuds. Um, the second, this is the second example of a problematic statement. If we are fixed on the Bible as a book that has to get history right, and in parentheses, the Gospels become a crippling problem. Peter ends. Now, it's funny because I was thinking about this this morning. Like, you read like Eusebius or the Church Fathers or Augustine on the synoptic quote-unquote problem. Well, they're aware of it. They just don't see it as a problem. No. Like, it, these are people that have that think the Bible is perfectly reliable. They tell you why Mark changes this. The, right. the, like, they know this. It's not like they're naive. No, they're better, more careful students of the text than many... People today, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so okay. I think we, you and I, could both agree with that. Well, like Gregory Nyssa says, who said, "Well, if you read something that couldn't possibly literally have happened, then it must be spiritual." Yeah, yeah, yeah. you allegorize it, yeah. And, okay, now this is from James Burklow, who I don't know who this is. Um, that doesn't mean anything because there's lots to see out behind this. <laughs> you, you, yeah. you know, you're I don't know how to brine a turkey. I know of it, but I don't know how to brine. <laughs> Anything in the Bible that looks miraculous or contrary to the normal functions of the natural world is not factual, but it rather is mythological. I would disagree with that, but I do think there's mythological things. That doesn't mean it's not true. Right. And, and I mean, Bart prefers saga as opposed to like time, like that there's a history and then a sort of symbolic well, there's two thing around it. I mean, on one level, I think, I mean, one of the things about being the good thing about being post-liberal or post-whatever is that you're not, um, you know, the, the fighting about the miracles going out to either try to find a fish big enough to swallow somebody, you know, those, we're kind of beyond those needs to do that kind of thing a little bit. Uh, Bill Maher's in Religals. He's always like, when I bring this up, the fundamentals, I say, no, it's not a whale. It's a big fish. Oh, solves the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, I didn't, I didn't. You, you. It was, yeah. But no, I think there's, I think the idea that, I mean, to read the text with integrity says, you know, they believed in a miraculous worldview. I mean, that, but I think that's, that feels to me like such a modernist problem. Yeah, I, I think that that's, I, so yeah. we'll point that as, she has a hyperlink to who this is. I'm just going to pull it up. James, well, James well, Burko, he writes for progressivechristianity.org, Burklow, and he is assistant dean of religious life at USC, author wow. of Open Christianity. So he's so he's he's cutting he's a cutting edge Boltman scholar. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I so. Let's just say, yeah, 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 let's say yeah. Those like, new ideas are yeah. are floating out there. Boltman live. <laughs> so um, next one is from Rachel Hallett Evans. What business do I have describing as inerrant and infallible? A text that presumes a flat and stationary earth takes slavery for granted presupposes patriarchal norms like polygamy. Now, that I just think is intellectually weird. Like, I, I, well, think, but that I, that I would just never frame something that That's way. a little bit of her project. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so these are, 
um, you know, these are, like, she has other things about, you know, another paragraph that summarizes the problems of this. So I think Charles Parti, my Calvin teacher once said in seminary, said, you know, the reformers believe the Bible is perfectly reliable. Some of their um, intellectual descendants tried to turn that into reliably perfect. Yeah. No. I think that you could believe the Bible is perfectly reliable, even being an inerrantist. Like I know Kevin Van Hooser once, I don't know if he would say this anymore, but he wrote an inerrancy statement that he signed up that he, his, cause he teaches at Trinity Divinity School. And right. by the time he qualified it, something, yeah. any Orthodox Christian believe it. Right. So you could believe the Bible's perfectly reliable. Uh, and and be and be modern and 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 not really, and use inerrancy and infallibility. Use none of those. Um, just say the text is authoritative, and it's yeah. so, so. I think that you, so this is just silly. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> like, I, let's I, say point one is means that anything outside of a kind of late modern American Scottish common sense realism, Princeton, old Princeton right. sort of inerrancy. Once you get rid of that, there's no Christianity. Right. Well, then how did we get to the point where we developed that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it? because of the conversations you find here. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Crest, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, Jim Kirk, Samantha Konauer, and Jordan DeMaze. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. Well, it's it's interesting. I think, you know, uh, I do think there's something. I, I actually think the culprit uh, of progressive Christianity is not becoming atheism is one step back. It's the inherent problems of evangelical theology. I mean, one of the things that they, I mean, there's a sense where, I guess, what was it John Henry Newman said, the, um, the children of uh, Roman Catholics, when they lose their faith, become atheists. The children of evangelicals, when they lose their faith, become modernist. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think, and because it's a function of, I mean, I mean, Bart Campolo's evolution or de-evolution makes perfect sense to me, uh, from giving his intellectual self his entire life. So there, there is a sense where an experiential Christianity placed based on a, on a philosophical, faulty view of the Bible, that does set people up for, for problems. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that that, yeah, I, absolutely. I yeah. think that that's and and Bart Ehrman she references the same thing. I think that that 
we've often said this, right? And I think Bart Ehrman is an interesting guy, but, but I mean, it's almost like sometimes I listen to the, the, the content of what he believed changed, but the form didn't. No. Like, yeah. you know, so you go yeah. from kind of very conservative fundamentalist, literally self-described. I'm not, I'm not calling somebody a name yeah. here, Moody Bible Institute to, to Wheaton, then to Prince Seminary. We sit down with Bruce Metzger, a man of deep faith. Yeah. Metzger teaches some things about higher criticism and, for, and, 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 uh, uh, source criticism. Oh my gosh, texture. It's like, I'm blown away. Now I'm an agnostic. I remember sitting at a table with, uh, uh, Peter, what, Peter Stokes, I think, or no, I'm saying David Stokes was a brilliant, uh, the most brilliant, uh, PhD student at Princeton. I was there and, uh, uh, cerebral palsy. It was just amazing. Uh, he said, my problem is God's given me a great mind, but the voice of Bullwinkle. <laughs> <laughs> But I had lunch with him. He goes, Mr. Moore, what do you see over there? I go, just a table of, of PhD students. No, their fuller grads come here to lose their faith. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. So I said, point two is, uh, just stupid. But no, okay. Now, that's not kind. Of, story two is silly. This is absurd. They, <laughs> that, they, so that that took the that took the edge off. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just saying this is silly. They may have an unresolved answer to the problem of evil. Oh, who has a resolved? <laughs> we just talked about Susan Neiman, that book, uh, history, modern history, uh, evil, a yeah. modern history. That is one of the best books in the years. There's no conclusion. I mean, like. She points to some real. Who has the answer to the problem of evil? If you have it and you're listening, sell it. Yeah, obviously she hasn't read the book of Job. Yeah, no, <laughs> Job. That's the one thing that was Job's ultimate sin, trying to have a, a answer for the problem of evil. But anyway, so yeah, so I, she she yeah. basically talks about yeah that that point was incoherent as you read on. I don't. I thought it was. Um, uh, because she says, because people, a good God, there can't be a good God who creates, you know, who's all, you know, the, the classic, you can't have an all powerful good God. Right. And then, so basically she has this quote though, that like, uh, where is this? She says, if God, is, you know, she's quoting Stephen Fry, the atheist. And it's funny because she says something, I can't find where she says this in the piece, but, but I think this is her words. I think she's saying this positively, like she's quoting, I mean, this is lifted out of the piece, like where you could tweet it or something. And I think this is her. Instead of saying, just have faith, or you shouldn't question your faith, we should provide a safe place for people to ask tough questions and process their doubts. No. That's a good thing. I like that. I, not the tenor of this piece. It, it, it's so contrary it, to the tenor of the piece. Yeah. One of the things that in, in Fitch's podcast, he did, you know, he, my favorite part is he's like, and then you got the Piper double down. So whenever you read, I don't, I struggle with the sovereignty of God. Oh, you got to double down. <laughs> <laughs> Literally double. <laughs> yeah. Right. So this is, so this is just insane. Um, yeah. It's funny because she she then quotes C.S. Lewis. My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and so unjust, but how I got this idea of just and unjust. A man doesn't call on crooked unless he has somebody to do straight. So this is the problem of good, right? Like so she pointed out like yeah. that 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 one of the things the problem of evil is part of our innate sense of goodness. Right. The it, problem of good, the sense it, that we have a sense of good is as is problematic. Is, as evil. And so yeah, so yeah. so it's interesting quotes that, but then like uh, I don't know. So basically, evil led Lewis to faith in God, but in the case of progressive Christians and atheists, it often leads to further deconstruction and unbelief. Well, it often it leads to deconstruction and unbelief for everybody, because right. evil's hard. Yeah, evil's very hard. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So that's just silly. Okay, let's just nix that. Point. Yeah, there we okay. go. Then three, they may affirm a culture-adapting morality. 
So, you know, basically many atheists believe in action is moral or immoral based on its effect on the well-being of humanity. That would be called utilitarianism, right? right? She doesn't reference that, but that's what she's looking for. Now, there are Christians who are utilitarian, they're atheists. This is not a... Forget this is a whole school one, of thought. One might even accuse the apostle Paul of being utilitarian. Yes, at certain <laughs> points, right? Um, so basically, um, you know, it's not, you know, we, with no need to bring God in the picture, this view of morality ends up following certain societal norms. Now, it might, might wind up contradicting societal norms. It might be a critique of societal, the, you, you, it could, utilitarian would not mean you're a conformist. Right. And you could be a utilitarian that believes in God or one that doesn't. You could you believe just, in deontological ethics as a Christian or not. Like, yeah, you, you could believe that the reason I'm utilitarian because the ways of God are mysterious. Right. right. Or, or that, you know, the Bible says, you know, like, uh, God is love. And so our ethics ought to be whatever we think is the most loving for the most people. Now, there are problems with that. You could pull Or you may say, well, maybe since we threw out slavery, we may want to reevaluate our view of women. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, these like are, yeah. So then around sexuality issues and other things, you know, she puts, so basically for atheists, morality has never been informed by the Bible. And for progressives, the Bible is being renovated to accommodate some of our culture's moral standards. So yes, I would say it's, here's an interesting example of adaptive morality that when Donald Trump comes into the White House, before Trump is elected, 75% of evangelicals say you have to be spiritually moral to be a good president. When Trump comes in, all the evangelicals flip. Now it's 76% the other way. You don't need to. I would call that culturally adaptive morality. <laughs> now, strangely, that's not referenced in the piece. <laughs> that would be highly adaptive. Yeah, yeah, so, that's like turn your morality on a dime. This then. is that's like Jerry Falwell Jr. saying, we don't need more nice people. We need fighters like Trump like to defend. That's what Jesus says. When he says to Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world, now he meant to say it is of this world, and it's Donald Trump. <laughs> the, uh, here's the kingdom guy. Or, or Pat Robertson, why he's still allowed to have a microphone, I'm, it's beyond me, but saying, yes, it's bad that they killed that, it's bad that they killed that reporter, but we're going to sell them jets. We've got to keep right. them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah this it's is, amazing, yeah. This is, um, so way, that's By just, the way, we just picked two examples. That's like, we just... That was intellectually dishonest. We just like, I was shooting fish in a barrel right there. It wasn't intellectually dishonest. <laughs> it might have been lazy, but it was it not. Was, all right, it was, that's true. All right, there was nothing dishonest. No, about not dishonest. That was just right. it, I will say it was intellectually lazy. It was lazy, but it's it is it's Friday. Black Friday. That's the turkey. We didn't yeah. do a lot of prep, yeah, so we, here we go. That's interesting. What would we have come up with if we thought of? I mean, if we're taking us five minutes. We could have come up we with something. Something, with something. Yes, we, we could have come up. Yeah. We will. As I'm driving away, I will call we'll each other. Yeah, and figure out. So then she says, "Atheist in the making." You know, this is. You know, uh, you know, basically, for Campolo, God's sovereignty was the first to go. For others, it's norm, sexuality, atoning, sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, whatever it is. You know, then there you go, the slippery slope. Um, you become, you know, an atheist. And then she, oh, she is quoting herself. In the conclusion, she does say, we need to thoughtfully and intelligently interact with questions of faith with compassion and clarity. Okay, I, there's, I don't see that really in this piece, but... But I'm not saying she's not that person. I'm just I saying think maybe that's her intent. Her, right. I don't. This is not a thoughtful. Read Tomas Halik. Anything he writes, that's there. He thoughtfully interacts intelligently with right. questions, open hand, open handed and generous. This is not the tone of this piece. Again, I have spent no time on her website, so this night may not be representative. And you know, she says Jesus has been countercultural following since the first century. Christians have always had to stand up against the spirit of the age, just like Donald Trump. You yes. see all these evangelicals stand right. up against the spirit of the age. When we fail to do so, it can be a step toward unbelief. The teachings of the Bible aren't progressive. They're eternal. Uh, oh, and then we say that again? The teachings of the Bible aren't progressive. They're eternal. I see eternal feels pretty progressive to me. But also that's like there's no progressive revelation. How do you get like, so things don't, that's just. Well, but wait, can say this. 
the teachings of the Bible are not conservative. They're eternal. Right. Same thing's true. Yes. Yeah. You could, I don't know. All I, Matt bachelors are men, but, no, <laughs> but not all men are bachelors. Uh, <laughs> so, after all, the contemporary views that many people call progressive aren't progressive anyway. They're old echoes of the primordial question, did God really say in Genesis 3, signs of the most wicked rebellion imaginable. And we all know where that ends up. Yeah, blessed fall that there's a bl- more blessed redemption, says the gospel. <laughs> right. And then you have dogs sleeping with cats. <laughs> dogs and cats sleeping together. Yeah. <laughs> Snakes talking. Yeah, so what's interesting, too, about the progressive thing I was thinking about, uh, Leslie Newbegin has this kind of missionary triangle. Whenever this image he has in several books where he says, this is what happens when the gospel it's carried on. Mission is the mother of theology. This right. is what happens. He said, there's always the receptor culture. Like, so the missionary has the gospel, but they also have their culture. There's the, ho- they're right. bringing culture. There's the recepting, receiving culture. Maybe it's right. Corinth. Maybe it's, um, you know, fifth Syria, century Syria, Syria yeah, or maybe yeah. it's fifth century England, you know, right, like, right. and then there's the gospel independent of both of them. So right. there's, there's things of the gospel in the, the bringing culture and then things that need to be judged. Right. And, and are, that are not redemptive things. There, there are things that the, 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 the host culture will adapt from the, right. the receiving culture, certain things and, and reject certain. And you get a picture of the gospel as we, we see what, like what is, you know, where's continuity and redemptive on all the pictures. Right. right? So there's always adapting. There's always change. Right. Well, you know, my, my professor of blessed memory, Becker talked about the, the coherency and contingency. Yeah. You know, and the, and the thing about it is anytime you make a contingency part of the coherency, you will ultimately water down the rule of faith, yes. the core of God. Yes, so, I, that's incredibly well said. Yeah. So it's, and it's true, conservative, liberals, progressive, whatever, whatever you're, I mean, it happens on all spectrums by all traditions. And you never know, like, things don't always stay conservative they don't always go progressive they sometimes things that look progressive aren't i mean it's interesting um uh, todd mcgowan who does the y theory podcast recently said he won't call himself progressive even though he's a man of deep of the left because too much of his thinking is shaped by psychoanalysis and he knows that any progress always has hidden psychological right. regressions right. <laughs> <laughs> so like so these are the this is so like complex to figure out what's redemptive what is um uh, Hegel say that the, the, the wings of the owl of Minerva only spreads her wings at dusk. Basically saying, it's a fancy way I think of Hegel saying, we only know anything in vast hindsight, like right, looking right, back. Right. And so it, it, and who knows, even our hindsight might be corrected, you know, by further hindsight. So, right. so the fact that like adaptive morality is, is seen as a problem it's just silly to me in the sense of now, of course there are accommodations that the church makes that people shouldn't make. And, you sure. know, with, but, but also there are changes that are, are not just mere accommodations. They're actually the culture being unwitting witnesses to redemption. And the church sometimes is last to come to that party. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or, or the fact is there's sometimes some of society realizes some of the implications of the gospel before the church does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, on a host of issues, yeah, you could say this is, this is the case. And, yeah. and, and things, and it's interesting too, like how things basically you functionally eliminate slavery in Europe until the age of discovery. And then there's more enslavable people and you bring it back. I mean, yeah. these are like these, 
you know, these things are, it, it, things are so complex. So th- that this is, so I would like more nuance and complexity in this piece. But, but what she shares with Bart Campolo, I think, is a lack of appreciation for complexity or nuance. Well, the interesting thing, too, is she fails to understand, because this is where Thomas Halik would be very helpful. Oh, yeah, the fundamentalist and atheist both basically have the same. They're impatient forms of faith that have no space for mystery. Yeah, he says. yeah, and which, and the heart of the gospel is it's mysterious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I read anything Halik writes. I feel like he is a great example of somebody that is Catholic small c. I mean, Roman Catholic, Catholic small c. I mean, and, and contextualizing the faith believed everywhere in all times. Yeah. For today, I mean, it's just it's it, he does that. And the other thing I think too is like, and, and it, we talked about doing something on this, but maybe we will, maybe we will. But the 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 pluralism, the in a, the lack of appreciation for pluralism, that like that there are many ways to think about scripture's authority or uh, the the nature of sin and depravity yeah. or uh, the the understanding of what salvation means or you know what Jesus as redeemer means, and these are you know, I mean, look at just the whole Eastern Orthodox Church just develops a completely different way. Right. And, you know, and, and some parts of it I'm, I'm more, uh, you know, appreciative of than others, but there, there's lots of traditions that, uh, that do things really well right. uh, uh, that you can learn from. And so you don't have to say that this particular late modern moment of, right. of conservative Protestant is, is Christianity, is the essence of Christianity or something. That's just silly. It, it, it'd be helpful to know a little church history just to realize that, there's a lot of the, that that the current that current movement is just out of steps with so much of historical Christianity and some pretty important things, and uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that mean that the ancient church is always right uh, or other groups are always right, but it does help you to realize that uh, you may be holding on to some things, even using the same language but with very different meanings. And uh, I actually think that kind of narrowness, the kind of narrow faith. The narrow definition of the faith that that she and others set up is probably one of the best ways to set someone up for atheism. If if any of those presuppositions, which are not very easily defended, if you get beyond a freshman philosophical class, yeah, you yeah. know, it was interesting. Scott Sunquist, who both you and I know, new yeah. new president of Gordon Conwell Seminary. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, went from dean of school missions uh, at Fuller to the president. Very good, good guy. He remember in a in a church history class. He said, "You know, one of the signs of church vitality in history is heresy, because it shows that the movement's growing. It's it's on yeah. the edges. It's bringing in new people. It's it's translating the faith. And inevitably, there are new questions. And and right. when there's no heresy, it's generally because there's stagnation. That everything's settled. Right. There, there are no new challenges. No new questions. Mission has sort of." Um, like what is uh, Daryl Guter always say? I think quote, quoting a Mennonite will shank that Christendom is Christianity without mission. But that he meant like there's a certain kind of periods in history where the church gets so insular right. and there's no new influences regularly coming in. And so you do get a more ossified faith because you're not meeting new, you know, you're not going to new places or, 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 right. th- or seeing new mysteries that you're. So I think that like I, what she would like is a heresy free church, which would be a church that is fundamentally non-missionary. Well, you know, one of the interesting things to note is that, yes, uh, Nicaea Constantinople says no to Arius's view of Christ, but it's not Athanasius's view of Christ either. No, right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's the, you know, you could say it's, 
the Athanasius's view corrected by the Cappadocians yeah. in some ways. But yeah. I, I think that that, that that you know, there's a sense iron sharpens iron, and again, the best of our theological statements make uh, positions that defend the core of the gospel, but also have a, a profound. Uh, sense of the limitations of words when it comes to talk about these things. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, I mean, peace be upon um, Miss 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 Elisa Childers, and I. I'm going to check out her rest of her stuff because maybe this is not represented for work. But I, um, this I thought this is just not helpful. Yeah, but do be prepared to give a reason for your belief. Just make sure it's a good reason. Yeah. Right. Or just yeah. and realize the heart has reasons that reason does not understand. There we go. God bless. Hey, listeners. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening and God bless.